0: Anyway, good morning, it's good to be here. So, um, I don't know, if maybe you've heard this story about one of our, our past presidents, George W. Bush, but he was in an, air, in an airport, and he noticed a man in a long, flowing red robe with long, flowing white hair and a beard. You can imagine who he might have thought that was, and the man had a staff in one hand, and he actually had some stone tablets under his arm on the other side. And so George was was sure that he knew who this guy was or thought he was or at least he looked like him so he he walked up to him and he said aren't you moses and the the man just ignored him and stared looking in the distance so george moved around a little bit where he could see him. He because aren't you moses and the man turned his head like he was trying to ignore him now and finally george said he goes you know i I'm sorry to intrude on you, but I've just got to know, because this just seems strange, but aren't you Moses? You sure look like. Finally, the man turned to him, kind of irritated, and he looked at him and he said, yes, I am. And he said, I'm sorry to be so rude, but the last time I talked to a bush, I spent 40 years in the desert. (laughs) Stupid joke, I know. So (laughs) that's the introduction to what we're gonna be looking at with Moses today. I thought of Will when I said that, because that sounds like the kind of joke Will might tell us, but uh, maybe not. Today, as we uh, return to the story of Moses, um, we'll, we're going to look at an incident that, it, that occurred just that I just talked about um, in regard to a burning bush. And most of us know some of that story, if not the whole thing, but we're going to just pull some application from that. And, and that's what we're, uh, we're looking at in the life of Moses as we go through this. And I promise you that it's, we're kind of going slow at this point. It's going to pick up. But wait till we get to Leviticus and go through that verse by verse. So I am just kidding. I promise. Mm. So <laughs> I'm, I've been listening through the Bible this year. And it's like when I got to that Leviticus, I'm just sitting there, oh, my word. It's like, you know, this is just one of these times where I don't understand everything that's in there. You don't understand why it's all there other than to show the holiness of god which is what the law was all about but i just think all the time i am so glad that we live after jesus and uh, and if you ever wonder about that just read through a couple of chapters of, of leviticus sometimes just to find out all the things those people had to do all to set up a right relationship with god which which the point was it's impossible to do that but we're we're going through the life of moses and just pulling some practical application from his life Last time I preached, we had looked at Moses as a as a grown up, where he was um, at forty or close to forty, if not there. He had um, he experienced a major life-shattering failure as he committed murder, and then he ran off to escape his own death, because uh, his his um, his adoptive father was going to kill him because of what he had done. Moses spent the next forty years in obscurity in the desert of Midian. It, it doesn't even tell us anything about it. It just says he went there. He met his uh, his wife and um, and his father-in-law. talks a little bit, bit about that. And then it just, boom, jumps 40 years later into the situation that we're going to look at in, in chapter 3. I'm sure at that point in Moses' life, he probably kept looking back on, man, did I ever mess up. He, he kind of, I, I believe that he, had the, that he had the idea that he was going to be a redeemer, um, at least to help in the redeeming of, of his nation, Israel. And so for the next 40 years, he, he sat there in the desert, taking care of sheep, being his father-in-law's servant employee, and just kind of thinking about what a mess up I have been. I'm sure that he felt felt that he may have messed up so much that God would never call him for any major assignment again. But here's the deal. Moses was wrong. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I certainly have. There's been things that I've done, and I just go, my word, what an idiot. I look back now, and I look back at my past in some ways, and, I, and I've said before how some people say, I don't have any regrets. It's like, my word, I have lots and lots of them. And, there, and there's so many things that I wish I had done different. And And I think about, you know, but God could use me so much better if I had just not messed up my life in this way. In the past, I have said that God employs imperfect, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I've preached on that. Because that's the only kind of people that God has to work with, number one. That's why he's got to work with us. Because we're not extraordinary. There's people that think they are extraordinary, but the fact is, every one of us is a sinner. Let me just... Uh, just give you some, some names from, from the word of God that I would hope would bring us some, some encouragement. Um, Abraham is certainly known as a man of faith. He followed God by leaving his homeland, and he was even willing to sacrifice the son of promise when God ordered him, ordered him to do so. But he had his lapse of, of faith. On a couple of occasions, he tried to protect himself through lying, and he also tried to produce the needed heir that God had promised through someone other than Sarah, and yet God still used him. How about King David? We know him quite well. He's described as a man after God's own heart. He had a share of victories, like over Goliath, which, uh, which made him quite famous. But he also had his share of major mistakes, which we're aware of. And that is his, his sin of adultery and then even deception and murder. And yet God used him in extraordinary ways. And he was described later on as a man after God's own heart. How about Jonah? He didn't get it right in the beginning but God still worked with him and did amazing things. How about Rahab, the prostitute who God used to give his people the victory at Jericho? Jesus wasn't, uh, wasn't done with her. She, in fact, is, uh, Jesus comes from her line. That just shows you right there that, wow, there's some pretty amazing things that can come out of some people that are pretty lost. How about the apostle Peter? who had denied Jesus three times, even though even after it was predicted and he denied that he would do that, he then denied Jesus three times. He went on to be the great leader in the church. And we can't forget about Paul, who was a crusader and a murderer against the cause of Christianity. And yet we don't even need to explain how God used him. Moses is going to discover that God specializes in using imperfect people in ordinary situations to do extraordinary things. Part of the reason God does does this is because, as I've said, because he has to use imperfect people because that's what all of us are. But it's still amazing when you look at some of the people that God used and the amazing, great ways and extraordinary ways he used them. Another part of the reason is that God wants to show everyone that what what matters is not the person but the God who is behind that, that person and he's working in the person. That's why God has a desire to use you. That's why Paul wrote what he did in 2 Corinthians 1, through 8-9, where he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffer in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not yet rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He also wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God just constantly is, is showing us, using us, and showing that we are not anything great, but he's doing it because of, because of himself. He is great. We are weak and flawed vessels, but God fills us with his power and his righteousness, and he enables us to carry out his good purposes one of my favorite books it's just a, I'm really I'm in love with the line because it's a, it's written by a guy named JD Greer. And, it, and the name of the book is um, Jesus beside us our, our, the spirit beside in the spirit inside us Let me start over here the spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us and that's one of those amazing things you think about that and it's so true is that is Jesus when he left the disciples he said I'm leaving you but I'm going to give you something I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which allows you to live a life in victory for me. We must learn to rely um, on God and not on ourselves. Remember, as it says in one of those verses, that God, it's God who raises the dead. With all of this in mind, let's turn to the story of Moses. We're going to read, um, starting at, in uh, verse, verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, the beginning of, of this episode of Moses now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God this was a day when God was going to break a 40-year silence with Moses I mean imagine that I I didn't you know we're all different ages but I mean just imagine that if for 40 years after you had blown it you didn't hear from God Uh, what a what an amazing time. I mean, what an amazing in a bad way. I just go, my word. How would, how would that be? Um, I sometimes feel, I go for days and I think, I'm just not hearing from God. What's going on here? Um, but it wasn't like between the New Testament and Old Testament where there was 400 years of silence. There was no prophets, God did not speak. Here, it's roughly 40 years. And, and so Moses is, um, is out in the desert, doing what he does every day, taking care of the sheep. And this was a day that God was going to shatter the silence. It dawned like every other day. It was just our common, ordinary garden variety day. Work day with the sheep out there, listening to the sheep, bab. baa baa. Just another day at the wilderness office under the shade of Mount Horeb. The sun came up, the sheep grazed like they always did, and Moses put another another notch on his staff, 14,600 days of working as Jethro's assistant. Imagine that. 14,000, when you think of it like that, that sounds way longer than 40 years. But it wasn't the the way that God, um, this wasn't the way that God usually works. I mean, isn't that the way that God usually works? When out of the clear blue, he sometimes speaks to us. Without a hint of warning, God speaks to ordinary people on, on ordinary days. And on this day, God spoke in an unordinary way. I mean, if you are even look different, this is how God works. And you look in another spot in Matthew. This is how God works. Is sometimes He just He just says, "I'm going I'm, to things are going to happen when you least expect it." We can read in Matthew twenty-four, thirty-seven to thirty-nine, when Jesus was talking about the coming days, His return. He says, "As it will, it will be as as in, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of, of Man." For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They were just living like normal. And they knew nothing about what would happen, even though they'd been warned, until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be with the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus predicting his own coming. In other words, it will happen as an ordinary day when some people are getting married and some are getting buried, But until that great day God will continue to step into ordinary days in extraordinary ways. The story continues in this case. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. (coughs) Moses said to himself, I I just love that. How strange. I was was just thinking that. If if that was the situation, I kind of gathered that um, it wasn't real abnormal to see a burning bush out there through spontaneous combustion, lightning, whatever. But these bushes would, imagine tumbleweed. That's what I always kind of picture. It would just shoot up pretty fast. Um, But in this case, Moses saw a fire that was burning, and, and he said, that is strange. I shall go over and see what it is. I've always just thought of that there's just there's so many humorous things in the Bible <laughs> and, I, and I just thought my, my response would not be that um, I, I used to read that story in the King James and not making fun at all but I used to always uh, I used to always think that he should have said it's not in there so don't look for it I've looked and I swear that I heard saw this one time but it was like hark what the heck is that I shall go over and see this what it is and so I think that probably just came from us kids goofing off in Sunday school, if you could imagine me doing that. But, it, but it, I'm sure that it did not dawn on Moses to go, wow, I think that God's over in that bush. I, I shall go over and see him. Not at all, he was going, what in the heck is going on here? There's a bush on fire, but it's obviously continuing to burn and it's not burning up. So he went over there to see what it was. And, you know, and this is often the way God gets our attention. God occasionally does something very unusual or, or extraordinary. But I, but I think that even more so, God does ordinary things in an extraordinary time. When you or I come across an extremely unusual event, it's a good idea to stop and ask, is God somehow trying to get my attention? I don't know if you've been in those situations. I have, but it's like we ought to stop and go like Moses did. I better check this out because this is different. And so Moses went over and he, and he saw and he got closer to the bush. In verse 4, it says this When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. When did God speak to Moses? It wasn't with a, with a shouting down from heaven or, or in a mighty thunder or anything like that. It came from a burning bush, which was sort of ordinary. But all of a sudden, an ordinary thing became an extraordinary thing. But God didn't speak to Moses until Moses stepped away from his shepherding and moved toward the event that captured his attention. Unfortunately, I can just say that a lot of times anyway, that we are not quite inquisitive enough. When when something is happening, we often don't stop in our tracks and turn aside and consider what is happening in our lives and and listen or see what God might be trying to, to tell us. Moses did the right thing. He moved toward the situation, and that's when God spoke. God said this, Moses, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. A lot of reasons why Moses would have been afraid to look at God. For one, he'd he been raised and trained um, as a youngster in, in the ways of God. That becomes pretty obvious in a lot of the things Moses says and does in time. And he knew that that God was, was not to be looked upon. And so there was fear there. I think that he also had some fear because it's like, oh my word, I haven't heard from him for 40 years after I messed up like I, and now he's here to thrash me. And I could just imagine that that there was not only reverence, but there was some fear there. I I kind of think that in modern days we might have Moses might have been looking around, looking for the uh, looking for everybody behind the rock. All right, where's the cameras? You know, if this has been modern times, we would be going. Um, are we on, can camera? If anybody remembers what that was, but um, or or something like that. America's funniest home videos or whatever. But then when he saw no one, he said, I'm here. And, uh, and, and that's one of the greatest responses that Moses could have had. He said, here I am. And then God said to him, and told him who he described who he was. And that's when Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then, and then God, when God spoke to him, Moses was standing, told him that he was on holy ground, and holy ground required the removal of his shoes. It doesn't tell us that he did, but I bet that he did take his shoes off. And what but what made it holy ground? It was simply the presence of God. The special manifestation of God's presence made that spot holy ground. Before we move on, let's consider what else God said to Moses. God said, I am the God of your Father God, and the Father um, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This passage tells us that Moses immediately hid his face from God because of fear. Nevertheless, here here was this God who is the one and only God, and he is the one that paid a visit to Moses through this burning bush. Surely Moses must have wondered why the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was appearing to him. The Lord hadn't said anything about Moses' part in the Lord's big plan. He hadn't said anything about how you blew it. And now I just came to tell you that I'm done with you. Moses has never read the book of Exodus. He's never seen the movie, The 10 Commandments or The Prince of Egypt. He doesn't have a clue what's gonna happen like we might have an idea. Moses didn't have a clue about what was coming next. Looking at verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of Egypt of, of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people of Israel out of Egypt. If you have ever doubted the heart of God for his people, um, for you, or for our, um, us as Christians, then read these verses over and over. Because until you're convinced otherwise, and as, as God told Moses, he said, after, again, 40 years of silence, and Moses had this message, this why he went out to, to visit his people 40 years before when, it, when the murder happened, and then he ran away. But if you if you ever wonder about God it says it says here I have indeed seen the misery I have heard them crying out I am concerned about their suffering have come down to rescue them often whenever that kind of when that situation when we get into a situation we're wondering out where on earth is God it's like I just prayed this morning at breakfast and now here it is lunchtime and God has still not rescued me what is going on? Um, I don't know if you've ever felt like that but I'll confess I sure feel like that a lot of times This is Moses. And he's been there for 40 years, knowing about the plight of his people in Egypt. And here God even comes and says, I'm aware of it. And here I am, 40 years after you became aware of it, and here I am. Perhaps uh, perhaps Moses was was a little taken back by that. We don't know. But we can be assured of this, that God is aware and he cares, and he would care then, he cares now. He is touched by what he saw, and he wants to help, and he plans to help. Satan our enemy wants us to think differently. He wants us to to think that God has forgotten about us and doesn't care. Suddenly Moses heard words that must have stunned him like a bolt of lightning. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. <laughs> what? That's not what I had in mind. It was like just go rescue them. You know, I I've, I've heard the story just go go rescue them. You you know what happens when you try to use me? It's like I get in there and I get I get involved and I do stupid stuff, and now here I am in the in the desert or in the wilderness with with a bunch of sheep. Forty years later, but that, but it's like Moses here is just going what what say what? Send me, send me to Pharaoh of all people to do what? The next time we we'll we'll come back, and I and I had this sermon all in one, but I thought my word, there's so much stuff in this next one, so I made it into another sermon. So the good news is I'm pretty ready for next time so uh but don't make me do it next week okay um but uh but it's because it's it's a just a great passage that I I wanted to hit this as much and I want to go on to the next one too but it's like um so we're going to find out just some things from Moses and his response to the Lord's commission for now though I'd like to see what we can learn from this part of the story the story of the burning bush and second chances here's the application I want to pull from that from all of this First, the story we learn to pay attention when God calls. When God was trying to get Moses' attention through the burning bush, Moses was willing to pay attention. Let me ask you, how is God possibly trying to get your attention? Has God allowed you to fall on your face, hoping that you would look at him for direction? Has he put you in a difficult situation that he's hoping you'll just say, what now, and then wait for him to answer? Maybe he has just slowed you down um, in, in a different way, in many different ways, and without describing any certain way because we all face that in, in different things. God might be trying to get our attention through a difficult life event. Let me be sure to add this, and I'm not trying to say that everything that happens to us is, God, is God's burning bush. Because God does sometimes, um, does call us out of, uh, out of an ordinary situation that's not tragedy, God does call us sometimes through the storm. Often He does that through the storms, but other times it's through the calm of the storm that He speaks to us. The question is: Are we too busy to pay attention, or do we have our minds focused on what we think, or are more important matters? It's, it's God. I've just I've got this other stuff going on. I got I'm under pressure to get this done. So as soon as I'm done with this, then we can talk. Okay. Um, so I, could, uh, I can relate to that one a lot because I like to keep pretty busy and I'm way too busy with way too many things. And sometimes I'm so busy doing the work of God that I don't have time to listen to the message of God. So we need to learn to pay attention when God calls. Second from the story, we learn that failure isn't fatal or final. Any old bush in the wilderness was suitable for God's purpose because the power was not in the bush but in the lord what is true about bushes is also true about people god can use anyone to accomplish his purpose as i mentioned earlier the only people available are imperfect people and so god uses imperfect people to receive and dispense his perfect message and accomplish his perfect will remember the verse we read earlier from second corinthians 4 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his that's all surpassing powers from God and not from us. Another verse from Colossians 1:27 says this: Christ living in us is the hope of glory. We are going to fail and sin, but sin and failure, failure, do not disqualify us from God's family nor from God's mission. Certainly, failure and sin must be avoided and corrected, but it also must be learned from. In some respects, our failures make us more qualified for service rather than less qualified if you look at the word of God and the way he's used people. One of my old inspirations in, um, in this life is the man Thomas Edison. I, I had to write a report on somebody, and I don't remember why I picked him back in, uh, I was in fifth or sixth grade, and had to write a long report. And uh, and I was fascinated with electricity anyway, so I think I just, and just some of the inventions he came up with, so I think I picked Thomas Edison. But ever since then, he has become just a real source of inspiration for me. Have you ever thought of, uh, of Thomas Edison, think of all the things he's done, have you ever thought of him as one of the world's greatest failures? Most likely not. You think of him and all the great things that he did. This man tried more, think of this, he tried more than a thousand times um, it, a thousand different ways to light a light bulb until he got it right. A thousand. More than a thousand until he finally got it and went, ha, that's it. There's not many things that I've tried fifty times before I've given up on it. It's like have you ever failed at something a thousand times before you got it right without quitting? And actually Edison didn't look at any of these failed experiments and he had lots of them, not only in the light bulb, but in other things. He just kept doing things. He never considered them a failure. He always described them as this, he said he regarded them as a step in a long process. But late in his life something happened to to Edison that would have defeated a lesser man. Thomas Edison's son Charles, who by just happened to one time. Uh, he was the governor of New Jersey. He tells this story that on the night of December 9th, 1914, Edison Industries was virtually destroyed by fire. Edison lost two million dollars that night, and much of his life's work went into flames. Now, think about that in 1914. How much two million dollars was? And he was only insured for 238,000 because the building had been made of concrete. And at that time it was considered to be fireproof. Obviously it was not. Charles Edison, the the son at this time was 24 years old. His father Thomas was 67. The Edisons lived nearby the facility that was on fire. Charles ran around when the fire broke out and here's this building in just in in massive flames from, from the descriptions of it. He was running around frantically trying to find his father who was often at the lab in late hours of the night. He was concerned that he was inside the building. He finally found him and he was standing near the fire. He described him as his face being ruddy in the glow, his white hair blown by the December winds. And Charles said, my heart ached for dead. He was 67 years old, no longer a young man and everything was going up in flames. Thomas Edison spotted his son Charles and he shouted, where's your mother? And Charles said, I don't know, dad probably at home. And Thomas said, go get her. She's not likely to ever see something like this again. (laughs) I thought that's real optimism. The next morning he was walking around, uh, Thomas was walking around the charred embers uh, with all his hopes and dreams burnt up. And he said, there is great value in disaster all our mistakes are burned up, then thank God we can start anew. That is why I consider him one of my great inspirations. I just love, I love reading biographies, and his is one of those I've, I've read many times just because I, I get so inspired by a guy like that, who even at 67, that's, I'm not there yet, and I go, man, in his mind, he had just had an opportunity to start all over. And, uh, and he's, it's amazing what he did after that. We qualify for God's service just as we are, failures and all. We must come to God in the same way, just as we are. On this day, Moses was going through a routine when he noticed an ordinary thing, a burning bush. Moses also noticed something extraordinary. Although the bush was burning, it was not consumed. Moses turned aside to look more closely. When the Lord saw Moses turn him aside, uh, saw him turn aside from the routine of of his day, he spoke to him. Everything God had been doing for 40 years in Moses' life was culminating at this moment. So much of God's redemptive plan waited for Moses to notice that uncommon in the midst of the common. There will be times when we are so immersed in the ordinary details of life that we may be oblivious to the extraordinary that is right next to us. You can be in the midst of a common moment, only this time the activity is filled with the presence of God. There may be times in the middle of your busy day, you've noticed something unusual. Your first reaction might be, I'm too tired to go and investigate this. I'm not going to disrupt my life to check this out anymore. Yet in that moment you may have the opportunity for a unique encounter with God. God only not only speaks to us, ordinary people, but He also will speak to us out of ordinary experiences of life. Those things that we just don't think are anything at all, but God is trying to speak. Usually it's not while you're worshiping at church. It's very often in the middle of just mundane things that God decides to speak. Many of God's most profound and history-changing encounters come during the ordinary experiences of life. When you see the unusual in the midst of the mundane, don't continue business as usual. And maybe that God has ordained that moment to be a life-changing time for you and those around you. Think of that often as I am as I come into contact with people that um, that I think are just irritating. <laughs> and I'm around them a lot. <laughs> not at church though, not here. You know, I just didn't, especially I think back in, uh, I get them all the time at camp too. Just because it's a Christian ministry, it doesn't mean that there's not Irritating people. I, I certainly dealt with them all the time, back in the business world, especially in construction, and uh, and I deal with it all the time in the in our world of, of renters, and I and I just think I've had to when I do it right, um, I just got to think, God, how can I be used for this person? What are you trying to speak to me? Even sometimes, and I, and I've said this many times before, but I I ask when I when I'm in the midst of someone really irritating. I've got to stop and ask myself the question because I'll say, I know my first response is, I wish that day. But I often, I've just got to stop and ask myself, what is God trying to tell me right now? What is God trying to teach me? And it's at that time that I do find out that God is trying to teach me a pretty valuable lesson that I can uh, use right then and I can use later. So don't look at the mundane as mundane. Look at the mundane and the ordinary as this is another opportunity that God is using in my life to speak to you. Let's just close in prayer. And then we're gonna to have to communion. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for this day. Thank you for that, for those of us that are here together to worship. And thank you for the word of God and for stories of guys like Moses, who um, we just look at him at this point in his life. We know the end of the story and we know that he is one of the greatest leaders of all time. And yet here he looked at himself as a total failure. And God, I just thank you that you take each one of us and you will do amazing, extraordinary things with just us as as even less than ordinary sometimes. And that's not to show how great we are, but it shows how great you are. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for what we have. Thank you that we have the spirit with us at all times and that helps us live above every situation. Please speak to us. Help us to have open ears to listen. And may we understand and then act on that. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.